And welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. What better way to spend what I like to call the perineum of the year, <laughs> the bit between Christmas and the New Year, in the company of me and the country's leading football finance expert. I hope you had a lovely Christmas. It's pointless me asking you that, Kieran, because as our listeners know, we recorded this back on Monday, uh, Sunday the 19th. Um, for those of you keeping track, I am halfway through the second bottle of wine, so <laughs> fingers crossed, everybody. Um, <laughs> we hope you had a lovely Christmas. Yes, uh, absolutely. It's a, it's a time, as we know, of great uncertainty. We hope you are able to go to football, and that there will be football to come. But we, again, it's all pointless speculation, Kieran, because producer guy three line whipped us into doing this on. It's, it's a whole week till Christmas. I've got nothing to do. A bit, bit of shopping. I've happily done. A, never mind. Well, he's, he's got to count his money before Christmas. <laughs> that's going to take longer than reasons, this. And that, that uh, could take quite a few days. Uh, yes, of course, it'll take quite a few days. We'll, yeah, because then he's got to count it, and then he's got to move some of it to somewhere where they won't look, <laughs> basically. Um, it just feels really... I, I, I feel like I should be saying to you, how was your Christmas? And you should be regaling me with lovely stories of carol singing around the tree and what a beautiful present... The Baroness gave you and, and Finley having wonky chops, but I none of it because it's it's, it's or, very or you could take in the Mickey out of me for for Brighton going twelve games without a victory if if we failed to win last night. Yes, and indeed, but Graham Potter still apparently next England manager according to, yes. to the Guardian won't give up. They've once they it's like no Graham Potter future of English football. They haven't scored since two thousand and twelve. <laughs> uh, so it's a questions pod, Kieran. Um, apologies if there is news then I'm afraid we'll have to catch up with it sometime in the new year. So if Tracy Crouch is now our Prime Minister, uh, we will deal with that. We'll get to that. Um, it'd be great if Tracy Crouch was Prime Minister, except she's a Tory. I keep forgetting that, Kieran. Um, uh, she's probably the nicest Tory I've ever met. And I've met a few, including our Prime Minister. Who's oh. Not. Yeah, I looked after him when uh, he did Have I Got News For You. Uh, oh, did you? I did. Let's not uh, let's not go there. I, I nearly ran him over. Oh my god! I, I, what I, a I, I was out jogging uh, one morning about half past six in the morning. I was teaching in London those days, and uh, I was g- going along a towpath. And I think he was foreign secretary at the time, and he came along with I think it was three or four guys who were his minders. And I wasn't I wasn't going to budge, and he wasn't going to go budge, and he, and he nearly went straight in the pond. Whoa, they could have been his minders. They could also have been angry husbands, just about to catch him up. Um, <laughs> just before the first lockdown, Ali was uh, company stage managing a play about Boris Johnson, a comedy. It was very funny. Um, but they started with Boris coming on stage very smart uh, just before doing a TV appearance and then uh, tousling his hair, uh, undoing a shirt button and pulling his tie. Um uh, so I was able to say to the writer, was that a, a figment of your imagination? He said, yes, I imagine that's what he does. And it's exactly what he did. Oh, he does. Yeah. And what have I got news for you? It was astonishing. He very, very smartly turned out and who just before going on camera did all that and went out. Um, and, uh, at the time, he just seemed like an amiable, amiable buffoon, which 
it doesn't seem amiable anymore, the buffoon. But that's, Kieran, this is one of the reasons we're not getting the BAFTA nominations, isn't it? Not that, <laughs> not that BAFTA will be spending the perineum of the year listening to this. Uh, so we have a few questions for you. Uh, and the first question comes from Craig Hall. Now, Blackburn are doing very well in the league, or well, they certainly were up till the 19th of uh, December. Uh, but they are a club we are increasingly mentioning in. Mentioning? Is it mentioning? Mm. Told you, bottle and a half. Um, Blackburn Rovers, says Craig, have announced a £29.5 million share allotment in their latest accounts. What does this mean? Is it a way of passing on debt to the parent company? Is this an example of creative accounting in order to deal with losses and FFP? Right. And in fact, um, Blackburn Rovers' parent company, which is called Venkies London Limited, have uh, very, very recently published their accounts. Um, They are losing uh, huge sums of money. They're losing 400 grand a week, practically every week. And uh, what you're allowed to do under EFL rules is that you're allowed to chip in uh, via share issues to uh, extend your financial fair play loss. So under normal circumstances, you're allowed to lose £15 million over the, this rolling three-year period, uh, but the owners uh, are allowed to put in more money and the first £24 million, uh, that the owners put in through share allotments contribute towards uh, FFP. So, so this is what this is what the Venkies have done and um, they've been incredibly benevolent owners um they they put in in well over 100 million pounds uh in into blackburn rovers the aim is to get the club back into the the premier league uh, there are stories and we, and we don't know whether this is just uh, you know a modern myth or not that when they acquired blackburn who were in the premier league at the time that uh blackburn uh were not at the right end of the premier league and the mm. venkies weren't aware that you could get relegated. So it came as a shock to them at the end of the season when they got knocked down to the championship. But ever since then, whenever somebody's asked for money, uh, they've uh, they've stumped up. Um, so it, it, does, it does help to cover the losses and uh, an element of it does contribute towards financial fair play. Mm. It's always interesting, Kieran, the, the expression creative accounting. It almost always implies nefarious doings but everybody gets up to it to an extent there's no, there's nothing wrong with a bit of creative accounting is there for for most businesses yeah cr- creative accounting is is pushing things to the limit um now lots of businesses do do play a completely straight bat but if you are perhaps uh, selling a company you you might want to make it look a little bit better uh, than perhaps you would otherwise it would otherwise appear um and there is uh, there is a little black book of tricks that uh, that we accountants have which we can utilize which make sure that you uh, do not disobey the law but yeah it's it, it's it's the equivalent of photoshopping uh, an, an original um, mm. to uh, to improve the appearance. Yeah, you've got more than one little black book here, and we know that. Yeah, but that one's one of them's in Russian. <laughs> Our next question comes from somebody. It could be Russian. Um, uh, yeah, I apologise if I've really insulted him because he <laughs> doesn't want to be Russian. Uh, Jakub Zarnik says, and uh, can I point out, Jakub, this is a really unfair question. Uh, to expect somebody who's a bottle and a half of wine down. <laughs> so it wasn't you weren't to know that it would be it would be asked on this particular marathon session, but it's um it's a tricky one. I may have to have a little pause halfway through. If you hear a glug glug sound effect, you know what's happening. 
Uh, Jakob's question is this. Could you explain if capital investments in footballing infrastructure, as an example, recent £8 million expansion of Bodymore Heath training ground by Aston Villa, are excluded from EPL, P and S calculations, profit and sustainability? I was under the impression that they are, but the EPL rulebook only seems to mention amortisation of tangible assets as a allowable expense, not purchase of tangible assets, brackets, capital expenditure, close brackets. I think right. I deserve um, a round of applause, Kira. Yeah, I, I, I was – that is excellent. Thank you. Yes. Um, what what happens here, Jakob, is uh, there is something very similar called amortisation called depreciation. And it is, in fact, identical to amortisation, um, which begs the question, why do we need two names for the same thing? And in my experience is that if you call a single item two different things, it confuses the public and therefore you can charge them extra money for the privilege of trying to explain it to them. Um, so what happens in terms of capital expenditure, infrastructure spending by football clubs is that this is spread over the life of the asset. And it actually benefits the club because if we if we take Spurs, for example, Spurs have spent you know, uh, a good a good billion pounds on their new ground and training facilities. And if that was only allowed to impact upon Spurs accounts for three years, then then that would be fine. But you know they 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 would make uh, pretty big uh, financial fair play profits for three years, and then they'd lose all of the benefit. What Spurs are allowed to do is to say, well, they estimate the new ground's going to last them at least fifty years, and um, they actually put through a seventy million pound uh, depreciation charge, which is taking the cost of all of their their capex projects and spreading them over a much period of time. So therefore, they effectively get a seventy million pound a year allowance against PNS or financial fair play, um, which will benefit the club on a longer term. So it, it is included; it's just not explicitly within within the wording of the the PNS rulebook. Right. Our next question comes from Craig Hollyhead. Um, Craig has a question about his club, Walsall. He says, Walsall were purchased a couple of years ago by a new owner, Lee Pomlet. However, he only purchased the club, not the freehold, which, um, as a Palace fan, always sets alarm bells ringing. Pomlet said his long-term plan was to buy it, but I've always wondered how he could finance it, as it would cost around £5 billion. What are his options, Kieran? He's got a few bob, but not £5 billion going spare. Right. Um, yes, the the freehold is owned by the uh, previous owner, Jeff Posner. In fact, I think it's owned by his pension fund. Um, and in total, uh, Walsall Football Club pay around about four hundred and fifty grand a year in rent in in lease charges. Uh, now that'll be for all of their their leased assets, but a substantial element of that will be going towards the best cot itself. And uh, yeah, I'd say as an away fan. Uh, days out in Walsall were always great. Yeah, mm. just just one of those grounds that was really old school. Used to love going there. Um, what are uh, what are Lee Pomlet's options with regards to uh, acquiring the stadium? Well, he, he could he could do the same as as a regular punter, and he he could try to get a mortgage on it. Um, but banks and building societies, as a rule, are a bit twitchy about lending to people uh, associated with football clubs for mm. um, for two main reasons. First of all, football clubs lose money. So, you know, 
rule rule number one of banking: don't don't lend to a loss making business because you might have to uh, uh, you know, getting your money back is that much more difficult. Um, <clears throat> secondly, uh, and again, we have discussed this before: if things do go wrong, do you want to be the local branch manager? in the West Midlands, who has to make that phone call to the finance director um, of, of Walsall Football Club. And yeah, I'm not saying this could happen. This is just using it as, a, as, as, a, as an example mm. and say, look, things haven't worked out. We want our money back immediately. If you fail to do that, look at the small print of your mortgage deal and we've got the right to appoint an administrator because you're immediately going to really hack off all of the all of your local customers who are Walsall Football Club fans who happen to be also customers of you at the bank. So you're going to lose a lot of custom. So therefore the banks just go down the route. Why take on the risk? You know, it's mm. it's it's five million pounds to a bank is not a lot of money. Um the bad publicity that could cause, we're going to upset the fans, we're going to have the local newspaper, you know, showing my face in the newspapers, you know, as the, the bank manager who who destroyed Walsall Football Club. So just just simply say no don't don't lend the money in the first place so borrowing money um is one route traditional route but i don't think that would necessarily work um you could go to one of these niche football lenders we we've seen the likes of msd holdings get involved with clubs they but they charge a lot of interest i think they were charging southampton football club around about nine and a half percent they lent money to derby county that's not ended well um so that's all good one option they could go down is to try to, you know, Lee Posnett could put down an element of the money himself, and he then tries to crowdfund the rest, and and you, <clears> you know, <throat> you get a named seat at at the best Scott for putting in so much money. Yeah, you know, that that could be another route which they could go down, but it's not easy, um, you know, un- unless uh, yeah. And a final option would be could Lee Pomlet find a another investor who wants to take a back seat come along to a few matches and and is willing to fund the club with a with an interest free donation or uh via uh, some shares which which might have say restricted voting rights to 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 prevent this person from uh taking control of the club i love warsaw the town it's a great place i love the the arboretum it's brilliant the the art center is fantastic just don't make the mistake of suggesting that they might be part of Birmingham. They don't like that. Um, <laughs> Kieran, the, the irony is, if if Lee Pomlet did own the stadium, would he then find it much easier to get a bank loan? Um, he he, yeah. If if you own the freehold, it it, it certainly does help. But again, you know, banks they they look at risk. And they look. They also look at reputational risk as well as financial risk, and that's why when you look at the accounts of most football clubs, they tend to have the, the vast majority of those the, the clubs that have loans have loans from the owners, and the the ones that don't tend to have loans from owners have loans from big international investment banks who don't give a hoot about what the people of north london or manchester think of them uh because these these banks are so huge they don't have to worry about a bit of reputational damage hi i'm 
Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our penultimate question on this short Paranoian pod comes from Liam Blaney, and it's about a club that most London football fans always used to keep a kind of paternal eye on, uh, and that's Barnet. And Liam says that he's seen some banners around the Barnet area uh, demanding TK out, referring to the owner, Tony Cleanthus, who's been the owner for quite some time. Um, Liam says, I'm not a Barnet fan, but they are my local team, and I was wondering whether these banners are warranted, and he is indeed a wrong one, or is there anything in the accounts of the club that suggests he's not pulling his weight? Or is this more likely just fan anger in response to a very poor season in 2021 and the fact that the club has moved out of the area, although not as far as Brighton moved once upon a time? Exclamation mark. It's, he, I mean, he's, he's been associated with the club for a very long time. I think back in the Barry Friday, um, he was was he only in the club then? It seems that he's been around for a long time. At, at he's, he's been he's been around for a while, and it, it's difficult to work out. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember going to Underhill for an FA Cup match. This would have been, I think, 1981, and when Brighton were in the old First Division, uh, and, and 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 we drew nil nil with them. But it was one of those. It's one of those really horrible days because whilst it was a fantastic result for for Barnet. Um, what had happened was that I think Enfield were playing Spurs on the same day. That match kicked off at half past 12. Um, Spurs won that match. And then they thought, oh, we'll, we'll pop down to the car park uh, at Barnet. And uh, yeah, 80s football being 80s football, yeah. uh, there was this almighty scrap uh, taking place both before and after the match. So it was, it was a pretty horrendous experience. Uh, and for anybody that gets nostalgic about football in the old days, uh-huh. um, it wasn't wasn't a lot of fun at yeah. times. Yeah, most uh, anybody who gets nostalgic about football in those days didn't go to football in those days for the most part. Yes. Certainly not away games. Um, my abiding uh, memory of Barnet is uh, it was Attilio Lombardo's first game for us, I think. We played a pre-season friendly there. And uh, the look on Attilio's, Attilio's face as he wandered out, so uh, <laughs> the warm up was uh, was one to behold, um, but it's a great. But it's I mean, it's Underhill was a great stadium, and again, it's, oh yeah, it, they're a bit like Orient. It's, it's I'm sure they Barnet fans get annoyed at being patronised by London fans. Um, although for for Barnet, according to my dad, God rest his soul, for Barnet, see Watford, they weren't a London club as far as he was concerned. But we, yeah, we always did keep an eye on them. And when they first got into the football league, they were really exciting, swashbuckling. Team, but the owner uh, Tony Clanfus, I think he's always been labelled under the heading "colourful." I think you could yes. say, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what makes me slightly twitchy 
is the proliferation of companies involved. Um, we've got Barnet Football Club, we've got Barnet Football Club Holdings, and we've now got a new company, which I suspect is connected to the new ground, which is called the Bees Football Group. And, and once you start to get this Matryoshka doll scenario with, with lots of companies, one owning one and another one owning another part, um, trying to work out the bigger picture is is quite challenging. Um but Barnet fans are no different from the fans of any other club. They they don't actually want an, an, a responsible owner. They want a sugar daddy, um, and that's not that's not having a complaint against them or anybody else. Of uh, some of the clubs that we praise regularly on this show, uh, you know, I, I, I'll I'll get messages on social media. So well, you, you don't have to go and watch them every week. You know, it's all it's all all this sustainable nonsense. But you know, we want to be promoted. I'm going, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah you, you got you know short term versus long term things. So yeah, they. they They've always had a very modest budget. Um, certainly when they were in the EFL, they had one of the lowest budgets um, of clubs in League Two. Um, and that's a function of the size of the fan base because that, that's what happens in League Two. You know, that's why um, you know, Salford City are, are, are struggling a bit this season. That uh, you know, they, They've got a natural ceiling, I think, for their fan base. Yes, they've got the benefit of having the, the Class of 92 influence, but... Uh, you know, if if anybody's ever been to Salford, well, Salford, Salford's a pretty red area of Manchester, mm. um, and I know I know Salford City themselves play in red, and, and fair play to the people behind the club. But there's there's another club in red who's and, and which which tends to get a bit more attention. Yeah, I'm always the the lion on Salford's badge. It's a proper scary lion. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, the last question, Kieran, on this short Perineum pod comes from David Casey, and. Um, I'm interested to see your response to this, Kieran, but I think it's a difficult one for you to answer because it's a kind of value judgment, really, rather than something you can necessarily based on on statistics and facts. Uh, David says, I'm emailing with a question about my beloved Northampton Town FC. I'm really proud of my club and the work it's done in the community and the fact I still have a club to support, given what we've been through over the years. And David, of course, you're right to be proud of your club. Northampton are one of those teams that most football fans probably don't know a lot about. Um, but you, you should. I mean, they're a club with a, a, a great history. You know, Herbert Chapman came through Northampton Town, event, all sorts of things. Yeah, I used to brilliant kits, always brilliant mm. kits. Always remembered, of course, for George Best scoring six goals. But they're one of those clubs that goes under the radar. But historically, they're a really interesting club. And they're a, yeah, the, the sort of club that the, the Football League should be proud of. But David has a question for you, Kieran. But he said, we had the original Supporters Trust in the UK um, and they were very helpful to the Palace Supporters Trust when we set out. And yet a few years ago, we had the £10 million loan going missing under our old chairman. It looks like the £10 million that went missing and our stand rebuild sagas are starting to be sorted at last. But at what cost? And it seems that our chairman and our Supporters Trust are in a bit of a civil war over what is right for the club. Is there an answer as to who is right and who is wrong? Uh, that is a difficult question for you to answer, Kieran, but yeah, yeah, I think we deserve to have a crack at it for David's sake and for the fans, all those fans of Northampton. Yeah. Um, I think we've, we've said on many occasions that communication, sitting down and trying to find common ground is, is always a, a good way forwards. Um what has happened here is that we've got 
not dissimilar to what we've just been talking about with regards to to Barnet. We've got Northampton Town Football Club Limited, which is in turn owned by a company called Northampton Town Ventures Limited. And then you get Northampton Town Ventures Limited, which is owned by a guy called Kelvin Thomas, who's around about 10%, uh, a guy called David Bauer, who is around about 10%, and a company called Belle Du Jour Limited, which is registered in the British Virgin Islands. Uh Now, with no disrespect, why would a club which owns 80, why would a company based in the British Virgin Islands choose to buy 80% of a EFL, as you say, traditional club. Yeah, I've, I've been, okay, as an away fan, I've, I've got amazing memories of, of away trips, like we all have, um, and, and they're nearly all positive. Uh, and Northampton, you know, second round of the FA Cup in 1987, Gary Nelson scored twice. Annie Brighton fan who was there at the day, so well, yeah, absolutely fantastic day out. So... Um, it's it, it's a difficult one because um, the the supporters trust put out in July uh, a, uh, a pronouncement that they were unhappy with the owners. The following day, on the club on the club website, came a letter, and this letter was signed by the full time staff of Northampton Town Football Club, and it said, "We get on fine with David and Kelvin. We have not been put up to this." Um, we think progress has been made um, for people not familiar with what's happened at uh, Northampton Town. Uh, there were prior owners who were given £10 million effectively by the local council who didn't appear to have done enough due diligence, to put it mildly. That £10 million was supposedly to be used for the regeneration of one of the stands and, and to improve the, the infrastructure of the football club. The, the contractors stopped working because they weren't being paid. And what ultimately has happened to that £10 million is, is one of life's great mysteries. And, and uh, you, know, the, the, you, you have to follow the money. The reports which have been commissioned by the council don't necessarily reflect particularly well on the council itself. So, so the, the, the club was certainly in, in a bit of a mess on the back of that. Under those circumstances, the club could have gone bust potentially, but that hasn't happened. Um, uh, and, and it does now have two owners. Um, all I can say, as, as we said, I think on a few other occasions, um, stop the grandstanding and get talking and find out what your your common views are. Um, the, the trouble is, uh, and this again isn't a criticism of people at either side, because I'm just as guilty of this as myself. You know, I, I've I've got some well known long term feuds um, <laughs> that once once somebody's decided they don't like you and you don't like them, it's actually very difficult to get the two parties in the same room together. And actually, if I well, was a bit of a misunderstanding there, you said something, I'm, I, I, I took it personally, and actually we've, we've got some common ground. So uh, I don't think either side is in the wrong, and I don't think either side is 100% in the right. Yeah, there, uh, a couple of things about Northampton, the town, which and uh, people listening to this will know that I'm now nearly at the bottom of the second bowl. Um, so two of these facts I can't really stand up. I know uh, Eddie Goldrick is from Northampton. Okay, uh, I believe it's the the, the Theatre Royal or the Royal of Durngate, uh, which I've performed. At. I think it's the second steepest stage in the country 
i.e. the rake. It's a really steep stage. Uh, but my abiding memory of Northampton, and I can't remember which game we were going to, but it was called off. It was somewhere in the north, and we were just outside Northampton when the game was called off. Uh, and we thought, well, we might as well have a quick drink in Northampton. And we came across the Northampton Irish Club, uh, and the quick drink ended the morning after. <laughs> uh, after booking a hotel in Northampton. Uh, so I've got very happy memories of Northampton, none of which I can actually remember. Um, if, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free to AirPod, then please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football.com. And please join us again on Thursday for the last of our pre recorded festive episodes. I sounded a bit Craig Rubble Horde there, didn't I? Last, darling. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the